This is Bragg, son of Balin, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle Earth. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast focusing on the expanding MMORPG, Lord of the Rings Online, as well as related topics in books, movies, gaming, and the lore of J.R.R. Tolkien. This is episode number eight, and I am your host, Bragg of the Lonely Mountain, Avenger of Helm and Dwarf of Ill Repute. Back back after a week's time, all those thinking or hoping that I'd quit after a mere seven episodes were incorrect. I have always thought that, like John and Kate, eight would be great. My first thought for this evening is, why am I here? We've got new content. Why aren't I playing it right now? Well, I mean, I kind of am. I mean, it's it's on right now on my PC, as the viewers out there can attest to. And listen, I know you're not viewers. Let's not get into that tonight. We've got too much exciting stuff to talk about. So we better get on with it. There's so much time and so little to do. Let's light our first beacon. Amandine, Pippin, get out of there. Okay, so uh, let's review our agenda for the show this week. Uh, first of all, there's a, sort of a retraction, I guess I'd call it. Regarding the segment entitled, Golden Star Pronounces the Names of the Fellowship, or subtitled, Bragg Crosses the Line, sure, uh, take one of the most beloved figures in the Lotro community and make fun of her. Brilliant move. That's the way to win over your viewers. And yeah, I know on the viewer thing. Just agree to disagree, okay? Actually, for those that saw my Twitter and Facebook feeds, I wanted to make sure that people understood it was a a loving homage and not trollish sniping. After the couple hundred episodes I listened to of American Golden Star, I'm pretty sure they would not take offense, and hopefully might even laugh a little bit. I mean, you can admit they struggle with the game name pronunciation at times, right? Maybe in the tiniest little bit. So anyways, I didn't mean, mean nothing by it. Hope no one got their dander ruffled. And we'll see if that segment returns. And I risk certain death again. All right, let's um, go to our viewer comments. Um, Tommy Oric wrote in to show off his Huarn pit. Huarn pet, but come on, Mr. T. It was clearly photoshopped. I'm not buying it, at least not for turbine points I'm not. Besides, we've got swan pets to earn now. Oh, boy. So anyway, no, I still don't have a Huarn. Um, we did have a couple iTunes reviews out there that have come in over the last few weeks. Want to thank each of the individuals that took the time to write in on iTunes. Um, Ram Villia said, "Excellent Lotro podcast. Like the Beacons is a great addition to the Lotro podcast community. Bragg is an entertaining host who provides insightful, well-structured dialogue regarding the great game set in Middle Earth. Definitely a must-listen for Lotro fans. I look forward to the hopefully many episodes to come." Signed, Oranir. 
Then Braxwell wrote in to say, great info, great host, very enjoyable, informative listen. Bragg certainly has the chops to appeal to both new players and seasoned veterans. Add this podcast to your Lotro rotation immediately. Signed, Braxwolf. And lastly, Zinger said, speak, friend, and listen to this excellent Lotro podcast. Bragg provides a unique flow to the show, corresponding each beacon of Gondor with a section of the show. His knowledge of the game is apparent with each episode, and he infuses his own humor to make the show an enjoyable listen. Signed, Zinger. Oh, shucks, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for writing in. Uh, I think I'm merely, nearly at the uh, threshold for customer reviews I need to actually uh, get a star rating out on iTunes. So hopefully I'll pour my heart and soul into this podcast and encourage one or two of you to go out there and add to the total. Um, Again, thanks so much. So in this week's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the content update, of course, or what little I've seen of it so far. Yes, there may be spoilers for those of you who don't want to know uh, about the 10 bears you have to kill. And then uh, we'll premiere a new soundtrack tie-in with the update. That should be interesting. We'll also have a new segment called What in the World to celebrate our new chat channel. We'll do another segment on our combat mechanics. And lastly, if there's any time remaining, we will talk to Lindsay Buckingham of Fleetwood Mac. As always, there's much to talk about, so let's light our second beacon. This week in Lotro, the exciting fad of the podcast. Uh, Let's discuss what I've been doing in-game. Ah, the sights, sounds, and smells of a new content update. It's like Christmas morning and all the little children are running around the park or around the Christmas tree or wherever you are. They're all excited, like ants scrambling around. It's great to see the servers busy. 8.10 p.m. server time. I logged into the game last night after getting home from work. That was the earliest I could do it uh, and uh, and get the updates launched. My spiffy, spiffy new load screen had a Paths of the Dead vista with wispy clouds surrounding it to get me pumped up. After five minutes in the queue, the connection to the server was lost. An auspicious start. Okay, so requeue, getting back into the game. Um, And we're live. First of all, retrading skills. Oh, joy. Nothing takes the wind out of your sails like retrading upon login. At least our log- our legendary items did not have their points refunded. We had that to be thankful for, at least. Uh, I had a quest in my queue that disappeared when I fumble-fingered my notification icon. Oh, well. Couldn't have been that important. Uh, I had heard previously from people on Bullroarer that we're supposed to head straight to Eowyn up on the plateau of Dunharrow. So that's what I did. Uh, I... Uh, ported into Alberg and noticed that the stable master had a dull Amroth stable route. Um, I have to say I was very briefly tempted <laughs> to spend a mithril coin to warp over there. No, I couldn't do that. That would be really spoiling things. But uh, uh, yeah, not going to do that. So uh, look at all the tents in Underharrow. Very cool. As I'm running through, that was a great open plain that we had patrolled previously um, just below the uh, the ledges carved up into the upper plateau. Um, so all filled with tents, uh, mobilizing for the war. Very cool. Except I did notice there didn't appear to be any new tents at the top of the plateau that were, you know, so there's areas not filled in there. Uh, why 
Why park at the bottom of the plateau in an indefensible position when you can park at the top of the plateau with the rest of your main strength? Lazy, lazy rump or harem, don't want to climb the stairs or what's going on there? But anyway, I applaud the devs uh, adding the uh, the phasing in that area. Um, effective and cool. Uh, I did run through that area, kind of checking out all the camps and seeing if there was anything that uh, needed to be seen around there that was of interest. And I ran into a cart and died. Nice. <laughs> First death with the Paths of the Dead expansion, running into a cart. <laughs> so there might be a few seams out there. Uh, I would avoid the carts in the field south of Dunharrow. Hopefully there's, uh, you know, maybe it's the devs trying to ramp up the, the challenge of uh, the landscape. We've all been complaining it's way too easy, so uh, this could be the answer. So uh, as I'm running around upstairs in Dunharrow and talking to Eowyn, the second quest I have, I'm faced with a choice uh, to get rewarded with a, a piece of armor that has essence slots or to get actual essences and... Wasn't really sure what was the better option there. I do remember Rowing saying that the essences themselves would be scarce, at least at first. So now I have essences with nothing to put them in. Hopefully there are better armor-slotted uh, reward options down the row. Um, it looks like our Helm's Deep Teal gear from Epic Battles will at least be better than the starter quest gear for Pass of the Dead, thankfully. So we can hang on to that for at least a little bit. After all the time we spent uh, grinding epic battles for it or doing whatever else to try to get teal rewards. Uh, later on, I did check my bags and noticed that I did have another essence that I had required um, from running around the landscape. And I didn't notice it when I was first awarded it, so I'm not sure if it was a quest reward or if it was actually a landscape drop from a mob. Uh, I tend to think... It might have been the latter, so uh, it'll be interesting to see if it that uh, how common that is. It looked like a, I think it was a lesser essence of fate. Um, I'd imagine those will be just something you'd throw in there until you find something better. Uh, but still, nice to know that they're uh, going to be available uh, potentially on landscape as drops uh, now and then. I do remember us giving feedback to the devs, uh, you know that. Uh, Having rare drops on the landscape, you know, is very very rare is fine, but as long as they're possible and you hit one every now and then, I think it makes the game a little bit more exciting. So, uh, applaud that. Um, so, faced with the first instance of the epic quest line uh, called the Ruthless Dead, um, was very excited to see that they offered a fellowship option as well as a solo option. So I called out for fellowship in world chat. One of six for the Ruthless Dead. Who can join? And uh, I had two people reply in the first 30 seconds saying, you know, you can solo that. <laughs> it's like, yes, I'm aware I can solo it. You can solo everything in the Epic Quest line, but you can't always fellowship everything in the Quest line. So I thought it would be a little more exciting and that uh, given the number of players running through that area that I might be able to find some interest. Uh, but after waiting a minute or two, um, that's about all the patience I had. Uh, I had a limited window to play. So I pushed forward with the solo option. Uh, I am hoping that um, that I can access that instance through the reflecting pool at a later date and maybe find some people willing to go through it as a fellowship just to see how the challenge differs. Um, I assume there's more mobs. I assume they have more morale. I was wondering if there are any other mechanics that come into play with it. You know, Even if it's not, I'm okay with that as long as 
it's a challenging fight for a fellowship. Uh, so if I do go back and find uh, individuals willing to join me in that, I'll let you know. Um, just found it funny that the uh, first reply from people is like, you can solo it, you don't have to fellow it. Ugh, you are playing an MMO, people. I had to take a drink of beer from that one. Okay. Um, so I rounded the corner in the Pass of the Dead and got my first glance at the giant chamber off to the left. Uh, the word I'd like to use is awesomeness. Um, loved the graphic detail there. No one does, in my opinion, epic underground spaces like Turbine. Not that I've seen them in many other games, but... Uh, you know, same, some of my favorite spaces in all the game uh, kind of share that uh, thread. Uh, obviously, the caverns in the rift, most of the mines of Moria, uh, especially the foundations of stone. Um, the pit of iron. I know that place has a bad rap in Isengard because of all the troubles with the, with the, um, you know, with the map when it first came out, or the lack of a map, and also uh, issues with uh, you know falling through the terrain in there when it first came out. But it's still, you have to admit, a really cool space when you walk in and you come to the ledge and you look down and across at all the, all the tracks and all the, the, um, the ramps and all the, you know, the, the ladders and, and structures. It's, uh, the glittering caves also come to mind, etc. So I really think this is one of Turbine's sweet spots. I uh, was really looking forward to seeing what they were going to do with the Pass of the Dead and was not disappointed. Uh, graphically, at least so far, my favorite image from the new update. And my second thought as I looked at that place, oh man, this place should have been a raid cluster. Would have been so cool. It's custom built for it, but not in the cards right now. Let's not cry over spilt ale. Uh, so I did run all over the cave <laughs> and uh, wanted to see if I could scale the first major structure that you see on the left there. But uh, right now it is walled off so that you can't, you can't go into it. Uh, I'm not sure. It appears to be inaccessible by design. Uh, it would be a bit of a bummer um, if that was the case. Uh, unless access is open for dailies, perhaps, or gated behind rep later. Um, so I assume, I also came back later and saw that the other path that you uh, access in the Epic Instance is walled off with rocks, with Tumihiram, Rohirrim hitting it with... Um, with pickaxes, so I assume that's the area that we'll get into later uh, as uh, folks out in Gondor send us back in on quests. Um, really hope the other, uh, you know, major structures off to the left are accessible through there as well. But would not be terribly surprised if they were not, and that was just a visual touch. It'd be a shame, but still a wonderful visual touch. So uh, applause again. Um, as I was running around the ghost caves, I did notice that uh, from time to time the ghost spirits up above would come down and do a little do a little circle around you and swim back into the ether. It's an effect I like to call ghost frotage. Frotage is a term for when someone rubs up against you, either knowingly or unknowingly, to cause them themselves pleasure. Um, so ghost frotage, or uh, as I like to call it, grotage, um, kind of fun. Uh, as you split out to Gondor, the first town that you come up, come upon, uh, Morlad is charming, I'd say. Um, you know, definitely a different architectural feel than we've had in the past. It's got a little bit of Brie in it. It's got a little bit of, um, you know, some of the structures in Rohan in it, but it's quintessentially Gondor. And one of the things I think that makes it 
feel like that is the narrowness of the streets that wind through it. So I'm interested to see if that carries over into some of the, um, some of the other villages. Um, was very happy about the appearance and feel of the first village in Gondor. And I think the cosmetic geeks will love the lady's hat, I'm sure, that we talked to. <laughs> Probably already looking for it in-game. So I ran around doing quests in the opening valley around the Stone of Erek, and um, there's nothing special there in terms of questing, uh, but it does a good job to start to set up the storylines nicely that I think will pervade the update, and uh, I'm spending the time to read all the quest texts, even the uh, optional components that introduce the individuals and where they are, like doing that with my main character as I go through an update. And I even think I noticed uh, perhaps some new music, which I have to listen to more in order to give an opinion on. Um, so I, I definitely heard repeats of Rohan music, but I thought I heard one or two new tunes as I was running around. I'll have to confirm that in the next week and uh, give some impressions on it. But if so, very excited to hear new music. Uh, plus, everything looks great. Um, the landscape is great. was expecting it to look great. It does. In the distance, I do see some promising, fairly major-looking cities that are appearing on the horizon as I uh, go south and east. Um, so with a lot of the opening valley explored, um, a shade under level 96 already. Uh, I'll have to see if I do uh, do close to a level on an average night for playing a few hours. If so, that won't last very long. Um, you've already got people in the chat, obviously, probably within an hour of it going live, hitting 100. You know, let me get all. Let me turn in all my stored quests with uh, accelerators on top and be the first guy on the server to get to a hundred. Uh, yeah, so give them their plaudits. You did it. You're first, and uh, maybe now you can go back and enjoy the content. Nope, they'll probably log off for another nine months. Okay, um, I did notice a deed to find sixteen Gondorian treasure chests, um, kind of spread across the landscape. Seems a little out of place gleaming there on the hillsides. Uh, I hope I can remember which ones I've found already when I have 15 of 16. But hey, content is content. If I see a glowing thing, I'll click on it. I'm an, I'm an MMOer. I'll click on anything that glows or pulses. That's how I got kicked out of the last rave I went to. Anyway, I can't wait to get back in and experience more of the new update, uh, which means this podcast may be short. I am going away for the weekend, too, and not the kind of weekend to bring a laptop to, unfortunately. So, heavy sigh. We'll see how much time we have to uh, play so that we have something else to talk about next week. All right, let's move on to our third beacon. Nardal. Okay, something really different for Nardal this week. We are going to play a short little clip of a soundtrack tailor tie-in to the new Pass of the Dead update that I found online. So without further ado, here it is. There's something strange in the Dwimmerberg. Who are you gonna call? Oathbusters. If it's something weird and it don't look dead, who are you gonna call? Oathbusters. I ain't keeping no oath. 
I ain't keeping no oath. See living things running through your paths. Who you gonna call? Oath busters. A dwarf and an elf wading through your bath? Who you gonna call? Oath busters. I ain't keeping no oath. I ain't keeping no oath. Oath busters. If you just don't care and you're a Sildur's heir, you can call the Oath Busters. Okay, I think you get the idea. Yes, the idea is that I have no pride, I have no shame, and sooner or later I'm not going to have any viewers, but uh, I am willing to humiliate myself, so I got that going for me, which is nice. I did hear someone from one of the other podcasts, I believe, say that they uh, were excited about the prospect of uh, perhaps using the gift of the Valar to level a tune uh, to get up to the past of the dead, just park them in there 24-7 uh, with the name Egon. Which would be rather amusing. Anyway, let's get this beacon out of the way and move on to Erelas. Okay, Erelas today. We're going to return to our segment on combat mechanics. Previously, we talked about the wonders of AoE and also about corruption removal. So in today's topic, I wanted to talk a little bit about one of my favorite combat mechanics, the Interrupt. Uh, skills that perform an interrupt on the enemy mob can stop them from performing special skills of their own that require a long induction. Typically, you'll see a small glowing either green or orange circle uh, with a related animation appear under mobs that are doing an interruptible induction. The time frame can vary, but I'm guessing most of them, you know, on the order of one to three seconds long, um, which sounds very short, but in a fight, if you're keeping eye on the mob and looking for that induction specifically, it is enough time to get off what we call an interrupt skill. So the green circles are for healing skills, and the orange ones are for offensive skills, commonly uh, an AoE knockback or stun. So if your class has an interrupt skill, and most do, and you hit it quickly, it can often stop a monster's best attack or heal and can make the difference in a raid or instance in a fight. Again, I'll go on my uh, high horse and tell, um, and tell Turbine that they need to make these kinds of mechanics relevant in the landscape again. Um, there are monsters and mobs in the landscape that do have inductions that can be interrupted, but the way the landscape is currently balanced, it really doesn't matter if you do it or not. It might take you a couple extra seconds to kill something um, if you don't use the interrupt. And so it's not really motivating people to think and use their brains uh, for the skills they're selecting when they are attacking and, uh, mobs in the landscape. Uh, usually interrupts do um, very little damage. They normally have a small damage component, not all of them. They, they vary, but they do fire immediately when they're pressed. 
As a matter of fact, um, if you're in the middle of an animation for another combat skill and you press your interrupt skill, the interrupt will, I believe, for uh, all the occasions that I've seen, trigger immediately, um, which is important, obviously, since you're trying to fit it into a very small window. Uh, just a this is kind of a you know probably a, a what's the term um, a min maxer type of thing, but if I'm trying to maximize my DPS and I am hitting a skill that has long induction, I'll often throw an interrupt skill in just because it doesn't take any time and it does have a damage component. You know it's can be fairly insignificant, but if you happen to crit it, you know it, it might do something. And again, it's not costing you any time in your attack rotation. So just a small tip um, that if you got everything on cooldown or you're uh, in an attack animation that has a long animation, you know, you can potentially hit your interrupt skill and add a little bit of extra damage just to put it over the top. So um, most classes get their interrupt skills, I believe, in the late 50s of leveling. And Mori is the first place I can think of where they start to come in handy. Um, as you get into Zellum Melek, there are... Um, some orc marauders there. I think they're called, I want to say Langerzam marauders. And uh, they have a green animation. You have them almost burned down to the ground and they will basically do almost a full heal. And since they're fairly on level, it's a pain to try to, you know, burn down through that, through that, uh, through that morale again. It just takes a significantly extra time. Um, so you want to hit, hit that interrupt skill, interrupt the heal, and um, usually uh, he'll only be able to have the time, really, if, if you're a decent DPS class, have the time to trigger it once in his attack rotation. And if you catch it that one time, then you're set, and um, it won't come around again um, before he's dead, typically. Um, so what are some of the interrupt skills that are out there? So um, guards have a stomp. Champs have a clobber. Hunters have a blindside. Minis have the piercing cry. Cappies have their kick. These are all examples of interrupt skills. Um, a lore master has a myriad out of skills that can interrupt, such as blinding flash, light of the rising dawn, storm whip lore, test of will, ants go to war, the bear, hag, bear hug, the eagle auto attack, etc. Uh, but none of these um, skills are instantaneous except for blinding flash when you have traded the fast loader trait. So blinding flash is really the go-to interrupt skill for an LM and it's also obviously very nice that it's ranged um, since you don't want to be too close during combat. So what I'm trying to say is that any skill with a stun um, or a daze or a knockdown can be an interrupt skill um, but not all classes have one of those that they can get off immediately often that there's a you know a longer time frame for the animation or for the um, you know, or for the induction, depending on what it is. Uh, so they're not all good candidates for uh, when you're in an instance or raid and you have to get an interrupt off quickly um, to prevent, uh, you know, a major, a major skill coming from a boss. Champs are typically known for their clobber. It's the shortest cooldown of any interrupt skill in the game of any class. Um, it actually was better, I believe, before the latest skill tree updates, and now the cooldown for it has been made a little bit longer. I think they did that on purpose. Um, Clobber is still probably the shortest cooldown of any interrupt skill in the game. I think most classes have a legacy trait that they can use to reduce the cooldown on it. But, for example, on my guard, um, the stomp skill, I, I don't typically trait um, a cooldown reduction on it because 
uh, as the tank, they're not always looking for me to, you know, I'm not the key class that's going to really uh, typically be assigned, a, you know, a critical interrupt on the boss. Uh, so what a lot of classes do is if you know you're facing a boss in an instance that has uh, a lot of interruptible skills, um, the raid leader should just remind everyone to throw that skill in whenever the cooldown is off. We'll, you'll appoint a primary interrupter that's got a really short cooldown, typically your champ, and you'll tell everybody else in the party whenever, you're, whenever your interrupt skill is up, use it. Um, because there's uh, interrupt skills can be resisted, uh, which is often a big problem in a raid or an instance. Um, and if that's the case, you know one of the backup ones might be you know right there in the nick of time. So uh, that's typically what the strategy is for those. Um, let me see. You shouldn't forget that monsters have interrupt skills too. So if a long induction is crucial for you in uh, for your you or your party survival in a fight, uh, either on the landscape or more likely in an instance or raid, uh, you might want to consider popping a skill or um, or a consumable that guarantees your next induction cannot be interrupted. So, for example, um, you know if I know the party's in trouble and I have to get up Fellowship Heart. Fellowship Heart as a minstrel, but I'm also being beat on by a bunch of orcs because things are falling apart, uh, I can hit um, a consumable called Minstrel Sheet Music. Uh, the Runecapers have a... Ins uh, so once you hit that Sheet Music, your next skill cannot be interrupted, and I'll hit, I'll hit the Fellowship's Heart because it's a fairly long induction, but once it goes off, it's a major party-wide AoE heal, and it can help restore you know some semblance of balance in the fight and put you back on your feet. So I try to save those consumables. Typically, I think there's three-minute three cooldowns on those, so I try to save them for emergencies like that. Uh, rally is another one that sometimes it's key to have um, not interruption on um, You know, as a minstrel. The cappy ones are a little more instantaneous, but the, the minstrel rally takes a couple seconds, and if you can't get that off and can't get the person up, um, you know things can fall apart quickly. So handy for that as well. Uh, the runekeepers have inlays, I believe. Um, that help prevent induction inter interruption, and the lore masters have parables, and all of those are craftable. Um, and there are also skills that often can be used to prevent um, can prevent interruption of long inductions as well. Like uh, I think the minstrel one is called I don't have the minstrel panel up, but I think it's called Gift of the Valar, and uh, the lore master might have one too. I'm, I'm assuming most of the tactical classes with longer inductions do. So, um, you know, read your tooltips, figure out which of your skills have that interrupt. You know, maybe it's on a stun as a backup, you can use that, but you want to know the one that's instantaneous if you have it. Uh, learn to use it when needed, and it will could prevent a full morale heal from a Yurik and Zelamelik or the Marvel boss in the sword halls, and it can even keep uh, Gorothal's lore masters from punting you over the castle walls in Samoth Gaul which has happened to me before. We're off to light our fifth beacon, Minrimon. Continuing on with our ghost-related themes for the Past the Dead release, we welcome you to another OA meeting, or Oathbreakers Anonymous, for the newly cursed. Today, we're going to hear from Ujil. Hello, my name is Ujil, and I am an Oathbreaker. Hello, Ujil. It's been 3,000 years since I broke my last oath, and yet I'm still cursed. Coming to these meetings gives me hope, 
Unlike the so-called heirs of Ilsidur, curse them all to Hades! Anyway, where was I? I have learned I have to take responsibility for my own actions and not follow around every stupid Devodiad captain with a capstone skill. Someday I hope to earn my eternal rest if the friggin' heir of Ilsidur ever decides to stop by. Like I know he's got a really busy schedule wooing elf princesses and stuff while we rot in this stinking mountain. And I am not kidding, this place reeks like a Balrog crop duster. Anyway, where was I again? Please come to the local theater group play this Thursday night where we'll be doing yet another performance of Oathclahoma. Thanks for your support. Thank you, Ujol. Ahem. R6 Beacon. Callan Had. New segment on Callan Had. What in the world? A random collection of stuff I saw on our new chat channel, The World. Otherwise known as easy content filler when you're out of ideas for the week. These are things I saw in the World Chat Channel this week, exploring the new elements of Gondor. Isn't anyone 100 yet? The creeps miss you. One of six for Sammy. Really? One of six for Sammy? The new content update just came out. Drinking, negotiating, and riding shouldn't mix. I think I'm going to go lie down now in this river. LOL. The swans in the dull Amroth Swan Fountain are not swimming on the surface. They're sitting on the bottom of the fountain with only their heads above the water. LOL. Maybe they're filled with buckshot. Just kidding. I bribed the guards with sex. I don't have any context for that one. Now I'm hoping for that big battle now with the Oliphants. Oh, here's another good one. I'm bored. Remember, this is the day of the content update release. Uh, Ding 100. Lots of these. Half the stuff that gets changed is not in the patch notes, because that's how professional Turbine is. Uh, You have been marked as being AFK due to inactivity. But I'm right here riding my horse. You must move faster, grasshopper. Less typey-typey. More shingy-shingy. I beg your pardons, good sirs, but Taylor Swift's songs are the pinnacle of musical talent. I got an offer of 5K gold for this blemished symbol of the Elder King. Should I sell 5K gold? And lastly, hot summer day plus chocolate equals a messy keyboard. That was late at night, so hot summer day must be somewhere on the West Coast at this point in time. Um, If anyone was wondering where that blemished symbol of the Elder King dropped, uh, the chat channel reported that it was out of a Helm's Deep epic battle. So, I think I smell some more people heading back to give epic battles another try. At least until we find where else they drop. And remember... After level 100, you won't have to decon them anymore, based on the news that we received this afternoon. Uh, I might talk a little bit more about that in my next podcast, but I think some of the other podcasts I've been listening to have covered those topics pretty well already. So, that brings us at long last to... Halifirian, otherwise known as... uh, Miller time or Bull Roarer's Brew time, depending on your frame of reference. That brings us to the eighth episode end of Light the Beacons. 
I would love to hear your plaudits, feedback, rants, diatribes, and most of all, your constructive critique. And that does not include pounding my Ghostbusters rendition. You can contact me at bragsonofballon at gmail.com. That's brag with two A's. The second A stands for Amroth. On Facebook at Ballon, Twitter at Ballon, or my website at lightthebeacons.com where you can post comments directly on the podcasts. I kindly request you take the time to create an iTunes review if you are so inclined. Very much appreciate those um, that I read earlier in the podcast today. Uh, please send me a note if you leave one from overseas so I can hunt it down and find it. If your comments tickle my fancy, I may include them in the next podcast or at least respond to them in some way. So, I hope you laughed either at or with me. I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before, perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. And most of all, I hope you enjoy your time this week in Middle-earth. This is Bragg, the son of Balin, signing off. Baruch Kazad! And remember, when the chips are down and Storvagon, the Helgrad giant boss, starts using the stone of Erek like a bowling ball, don't despair. Light the beacons. Thank you.